0: Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products or their benefits, give Artisan Botanicals a call. Ask questions 405 458 9699. It's all about educating yourself on how any of these products can help you live a better life. And that's what their staff is dedicated to, helping you live a better life. We're also saving you 15% off your online order with the discount code COLBYSHOW. Just visit abotanicalcompany.com, discount code COLBYSHOW. Easy and safe pickup. I was there actually yesterday. They have a drive through You're in and out in moments. It's safe and efficient, and uh, it's uh, just a really good setup. So order online, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, my guest today, weekly guest, we have NBA All-Star Talk, we have uh, NBA MVP conversation, and our weekly UFC picks, here's Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what is happening, my man?
1: What's going on, my brother?
0: Another day, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got a lot of basketball stuff to talk about, so we'll hit that first before we get to our, our weekly uh, US, UFC conversation. Um, the new scoring system we didn't we uh go. we didn't knock this thing out of the park in the in the first attempt so hopefully week number two is better but
1: Gr- granted though the first time when we did the confidence scoring system we sucked on that first that's week true and that's true it kind of it kind of picked up week two so i think uh now that we kind of got it got it under our belts <laughs> a little bit we'll be better <laughs>
0: ring rust ring rust is yeah, what call it. E-
1: exactly Ring rush is a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you
0: go. Um, let's let's hit a little basketball first. What did you think of the NBA All-Star announcements? Uh, obviously, um, you know, they announced the starters last week, and we, we had at least some time to kind of speculate what was going to happen with these reserve picks, but uh, any surprises for you?
2: Uh,
1: I was pretty surprised that uh, Devin Booker wasn't um, a reserve um granted he did get in uh, as a, a replacement for a d but i i thought that he did enough to you know get that first nod um but on the other hand, all those guys that are that are all stars they definitely deserved it um yeah. just it's it's just tough man in, in both conferences there's so many guys that's been having some, like spectacular seasons and you know someone's gonna get you know people are gonna get snubbed i mean more in the eastern conference than in the west, but i felt like for me, I felt like Devin Booker was a shoe in, you know, with everything that's happened in Phoenix. And I honestly didn't think that Chris Paul was going to get in. I thought that they would just get one uh, all-star and I thought that it should have been booked, but, uh, um, I liked that the fact that they're both in it. Um, uh, I wanted to have Devin Booker in it. And I started thinking like, who would I have taken out? And I was like, out of everyone, I probably would have took out Zion. But then I'm like, man, it's, I mean, just the thought of having Zion in the All-Star game, yeah. like yeah. what can you do? So what did you think?
0: I So my prediction after we heard the starters, first of all, I thought Damian Lillard absolutely should have been a starter. Uh, yeah. And, and look, I think Luka is one of the premier players in the league, but if you only get two guards in the Western Conference, uh, I, I think what Steph and Lillard right now are doing every single night, especially when you consider uh, where the Blazers are in the standings, where the Warriors are in the standings and where the Mavericks are in the standings. I, I, right. I just don't know how you give Luka Doncic a, a spot over either one of those two guys. So obviously understanding that Damian Lillard was a no brainer. Uh, but as far as my prediction of what the bench was going to look like, I pretty much nailed it. I thought it was going to be Lillard. I thought it would be Donovan Mitchell. I thought it would be Paul George. I thought Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert would be on the team. So that was five. And then the last two spots, I thought it was going to be either Devin Booker or Chris Paul for one of them, and then either Zion or Brandon Ingram for the other. And I lean toward oh, wow. it being Zion and Devin Booker just because I think that you know stylistically Devin Booker and Zion give you probably a little bit more flash for an all-star game. So uh, that's what I thought was going to happen. And then when, when Devin Booker got left off and they named Anthony Davis, immediately I was like, well, okay, Devin Booker's going to get Anthony Davis' spot. They both get to claim they were all-stars. It kind of works out well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does work out well. And uh, I figured that Devin Booker was going to get it because, like, when he wasn't named an all-star, like, the outpour of everyone just backing him up, like, from LeBron to uh, D. Wade, like, everyone was just on his side telling telling everybody, like, Devin Booker should be an all-star. Uh, when your peers and uh, uh, the fans and everyone are backing you to that extent, you know, and with the season that Devin Booker's having, I knew – that uh, he was going to get that now with AD being out. But uh, still, man, just there's so many guys like uh, so many first time all stars, uh, Jalen Brown and Julius Randall, uh, those guys, you know, they're having unbelievable seasons and they definitely deserve it. But then, you know, I looked I thought that um, I thought that the Heat was going to get one all star in, even though they're having a lackluster season. I thought the Heat was going to get one guy in. Uh, I wasn't sure if uh, Toronto was going to get a guy in. And even if they were, I was not sure, like, who would, it was going to be. I didn't right, know if it was going to yeah. be Siakam or Van Vliet. So I kind of didn't think that they would get it. But I definitely thought one uh, Indiana Pacer was going to get in. I thought it was going to be Sabonis or uh, Brogdon. And I was uh, I had a Sabonis in. And then I I was sure that Trey Young was going to get in because he was a starter last year. And I was like, I'm sure he's got to be a shoe yeah. in. and so I had him in, and then, uh, you know, um, they gave it to – I think I didn't have Randall, and I didn't have uh, Busavich. And so, I mean, there. Was, yeah, like you said, I remember uh, texting you. You were like, man, the East is hard. And yeah. the East was – it was really hard to name uh, the Eastern Reserves for sure.
0: Before I mention anything about the East, was there a player in the West, at, you know, after the Booker situation is sorted out, was there a player in the West that you felt like deserved – more consideration because like I said the only ones that I even thought were close I thought Brandon Ingram had a legit argument for that spot that Zion got and I thought that they were going to have to make a decision between the two Suns guards for one of the guard spots but that was it I, I didn't really think there was another guy in the West that uh was on the same level as those guys I didn't think there was any any significant snubs beyond that um And, and mostly not because there weren't other deserving guys. I just think the gap between the guys that are actually all stars and the next group is, is significant enough where I I don't think it's very blurry.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only other guy that I think you could give some consideration to is Jamal Murray, but outside of him, uh, I think, uh, the West pretty had it pretty spot on and, uh, Jamal Murray and Brandon Ingram. And, you know, with those two guys out, uh, definitely Devin Booker. And now that he's in, I think the West has pretty much, uh, pretty yeah. much nailed it.
0: The thing with Jamal Murray and you know, he had the great postseason run a year ago. I, I absolutely think he's one of the best, you know, 20 to 25 players in the NBA. No question. The thing with him this year though, I don't know if maybe he's just realized that he doesn't need to play hard every single night throughout the regular season. Like you have to pace yourself and save some for the postseason. Uh, I've watched a handful of Nuggets games this year and that's the thing. He just, he doesn't consistently, I think he's not the killer that we saw in the postseason last year. And and look, the numbers are like 24 and four, I believe. Uh, But like, I don't know if you caught any of last night's game for the majority of the game, he's just kind of there. And then in the fourth quarter, like he and Dame started trading and it was a lot of fun. And I was like, okay, there's Jamal Murray. But for most of the night, you know, he was just kind of there. And I, I, that's, Every time, at least I've seen Denver this year, that's kind of the sense I've gotten. Like he's, he's he's not really forcing the issue. He steps up when he needs to in games, but you know that's going to cost you an All Star spot. I mean,
2: yeah,
1: I don't blame um, him.
0: I'm just saying that like that's that's my observation.
1: Yeah, I, I've watched uh, a handful of Nuggets games too, and I kind of just think that Jokic kind of just takes over from like the first quarter to like the <laughs> mid third quarter. Because, like, if you see, like, Jokic's first quarter numbers, I, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but there's been so many times when he's had, like, 20 or 22 yeah. after the first quarter. And I feel like Murray kind of just, you know, you kind of just go back to the high hand until it runs dry. And, you know, Jokic is shooting at such a high clip right now that, you know, you just keep, go, you keep going to him. Yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, when, you know, the chips are down and you kind of need that perimeter scoring you need, uh, you know, people are keying in on Jokic. That's probably when Jamal Murray feels like, okay, it's my time now. Let me create something off the bounce. Because, uh, you know, a lot of matchups uh, kind of work out in his favor. Like last night, you know, he's going back and forth with Dame. You know, Dame's expending a lot of enri- uh, energy on offense. So he's, he's like, I'm going to go at you. And then uh, Covington and Derrick Jones, they have linked. But, you know, they're not quick enough to stay with, uh, to stay with Murray. So Murray was able to get mo- mostly whatever he wanted. So, uh, yeah, I just think that it's, you know, Jokic has been really aggressive offensively uh, for scoring the ball. And, you know, Jokic, or, and uh, Murray should kind of play that second fiddle. Yeah.
0: Um, he's averaging, after after last night, he's averaging 21 a game now. But in his last four, he's had a 30-point game, he's had a 50-point game, and he's had a 35-point game. So that's really helped the overall average because if you look about two weeks ago, he had a stretch where it was – 17 5 18 16 14 16 11 eight so that's you know that that's the thing you're just you're not gonna be an all-star when you have a bunch of games like that over a, a decent stretch of the season and again I don't think that in any way diminishes how good of a player he is I think he's an all-star caliber player I just don't think he's having an all-star all-star season
1: especially with other guys who are having right yeah incredible years yeah. it's like with Uh, the Suns guards or with uh, uh, Brandon Ingram and and, uh, Zion and these guys Donovan Mitchell when it's when it's so close and then you're having these games when you're when you're scoring five points you're not going to get that nod so definitely understand
0: all right so the east Um, the east is interesting because I thought Ben Simmons was going to make it I think a lot of people were kind of surprised that Ben Simmons was on the team I thought he was going to make it now what he wouldn't be an all-star for me Uh, but I also value shooting maybe a little bit more than, uh, than what he gives us regularly. Uh, I'm kidding. He's a, he's a good player. Um, I probably, you know, he's, he, I think is getting the nod because Philadelphia is the number one team in the East. Like, of course the 76ers were going to get two players. I mean, some people were surprised Tobias Harris didn't get a spot. So, uh, I knew that there, there were going to be two guys. I thought Ben Simmons was going to be the second guy. That wasn't a big surprise to me. Then then you start to look at the, the Trey Young situation, and this is where I thought it got really interesting. James Harden was absolutely getting a spot. Jalen Brown was absolutely getting a spot. And that basically left one guard spot for either Trey Young or Zach Levine. And I wasn't sure which way they were going to go. I was, I, I was kind of leaning a little bit more toward Trey probably getting that than Zach Levine. But, I mean, I, I don't think you can really make an argument necessarily to say definitively that one guy absolutely deserves it over the other with those two.
1: Yeah, man. I was so on the fence with those, with with all those guys. Like Jalen Brown's had such a good season, but then like Boston's like 500, you know, yeah. they're, they're kind of, you know, here and there. So I was like, are they going to get two all-stars? Even though Tatum and Brown are, are deserving with their record, I kind of thought like maybe they would just get one. Uh, and then like if they were to get one, who do you pick out of Tatum and Brown? And I was like, Ah, uh, I mean, that one's tough. So yeah. you know, you never know. But then you know, with the whole Zach Levine situation, I think if Zach Levine was not an All Star, I think the All Star game might have gotten, uh, <laughs> yeah, might have got shut down because everyone wanted to see Zach Levine uh, as a as an All Star. Uh, so Trey, you know, he was an All Star starter last year, and then not only that, but this season, um, the the guards you know, the, the guards have gotten so much better. The, the competition is so much better. You got, you add James Harden, you added Jalen Brown, you got Zach Levine uh, playing well, Jason Tatum, all these guys, uh, Jimmy Butler. So like the guards are stacked. It's loaded. You know, normally we're saying that about the West, but now right. you know, we're saying that about the East. It's it's just loaded. And someone, someone's got to be that guy that's going to get that snub. And uh, this year it was Trey. Yeah.
0: Like I said, I I didn't know I, I I if you had made me bet on it, I probably would have bet that it was going to be Trey. But I was really torn as to whether they were going to go Levine or Trey Young for that last spot. And look, maybe maybe Jalen Brown was in that conversation. I I think just the the Boston angle and the fact that he's just had this emergence this year was wasn't going to keep him out. I think to me at least, I thought he was pretty solidified as one of the guys. So um, and then you know the the three front court players. This is really interesting as well because, um, look, I, I think that there are probably about 10 guys as far as front court players in the Eastern Conference that you can throw in a hat and pull three names out, and it's going to be about the same, right? Like, when you start looking at the Eastern Conference, and, and especially if you want to start talking about, like, Vucevic being on a non-playoff team or some of these other guys that aren't on good teams, um, I mean, Jason Tatum, uh, Julius Randle, Dom- Domas Sabonis, uh, Siakam. Um, look, the Pistons absolutely stink, but Jeremy Grant's having an all-star caliber season. If you want to go, absolutely. you know that, I mean, his numbers are right there with, with all the names I just mentioned. Tobias Harris, uh, Vucevic, Adebayo. Like, there's there's just not a lot of separation between anybody in that group, right?
1: No, like like you said, you, you just pull some names out of the hat and you're just going to get like the same type of numbers. It's probably just depends on what your team is doing, but man, like all those guys, uh, bam, Domas, uh, Jeremy Grant having an incredible year. Julius Randle is having the Knicks, uh, on a resurgence. Like I thought that he was probably going to get in, but I just wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get the nod over some of the, the more like established guy, because, you know, he first time all-star, you know, you never know, uh, how many first time all stars you're actually going to get this year? We got a lot, but uh, man, uh, man, Vucevic, man, he's flying under the radar so much, but he's just steadily twenty and ten every night. Yeah. Some nights he's getting like thirty five and seventeen. He's averaging like, twenty four and twelve. Yeah, I, and I see like his numbers on Twitter, and I'm just like, no one's talking about this, but like <laughs> we see it, we see Embiid who score who will score thirty seven and fifteen, and people are like. MVP, but we see uh, Vucevic, and people probably just, you know, ah, uh, that's okay. He's in Orlando, you know, he's got to do that. But Vucevic is having an incredible season. Uh, and then Bam, like, Bam's over here getting triple doubles. <laughs> like, yeah. him and Jimmy both getting triple doubles. I mean, the Heat are having a, they're struggling this year, but, you know, I, I think with Bam, you know, they went and made it to the finals, and with uh, all the notoriety that the, that the Heat get, I thought that he could get a nod. Uh, Siakam, too, like, so many guys, man, but I think they got—I think they got it right. You can't really go wrong with any of the guys that made it, uh, but you know, there's always going to be some of those guys who uh, who think they deserved it. Yeah,
0: um, if of the three front court players named for the reserves, which is Tatum, Randall, and Vucevic, uh, honestly, if the Knicks weren't, I think, currently in the number. What is it? Eight spot, I think in the in the East, seven or eight.
1: Seven, yeah, seven um, or eight.
0: If they weren't in that picture, I don't know that Randall gets in. I think probably just the fact that they've been so bad for so long, and they're somewhat relevant and they're absolutely yeah. improved, probably pushes him over the top because I mean his numbers are basically the same as Sabonis, and Sabonis is the best player on the number four team in the East. Like I, that, yeah, that, that <laughs> to me is a pretty tough pull to tell me that Randall. 100% deserves it over Sabonis. Now, if Randall is your preference over Sabonis, I totally get that. But to, to just say definitively that he deserves it over Sabonis, I don't think that you can say that. And that's why I think probably the, the Knicks situation this season probably puts him over the top.
1: I agree with 100%. Just the Knicks have been so bad over the last few years. Like, their front office, it's, it's bad. Like, the, every type of situation with involving the Knicks, it's just been bad over the last few years. And then, you know, they bring in Coach uh, Tom Thibodeau, and he's got them playing incredible right now. He's got Randall playing his best basketball. Um, I think just the narrative, like you said, man, just that whole – everything that goes into it uh, probably gave him the nod. And then, you know, you have Indiana. You know, not much goes on there in Indiana. You know, not much uh, star power. You know, not much media, small market team. But they're number four in the East right now, and Domas is having a – I believe another career career year, you know, he's averaging probably like 2010 and like four uh, last time I checked. So uh, he's having an incredible season, man. And, you know, it's tough that he got left off and then Brogdon too, who's having Brogdon's an incredible good. season, Yeah. Uh, you know, and just everything that they've had to deal with, like with Oladipo uh, getting traded and then Levert not being able to play like they're, they're down uh, a very, uh, Highest scoring wing. So, uh, with all that being said, and then they're get they have a new coach. So, like with all that being said, they're still number four in the East, and uh, both those guys are having career years. So, like you said, it's the New York situation, the media there uh, gave Randall the nod, but you know you can't deny Randall that spot because he's having a career year.
0: I was talking about this with Aaron yesterday, but um, we were talking about All Star games of the past, and it, it kind of made me think like you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I'll I'll give you an example. 10 years ago, the leading scorer in the NBA, the scoring champion was Kevin Durant. He averaged 27.7 points per game. There are like 10 dudes right now in the (laughs) NBA that are averaging 27 or more. Like the game has evolved to this whole different level that we've never seen to where I I think there's been maybe more complaints about all-star snubs this year than maybe ever and I think a big reason for that is if you rewind 10 years ago, there were like 19 dudes that were averaging 20 points or more. So like all those guys were all-stars. It used to be, I think for our entire lifetime, basically, if you were a guy like 20 was the mark, right? If you hit 20 a game or more, you're an all-star caliber player. That just kind of was the, you know, not the official mark, but that was just kind of the measure. Cause usually there are about 20 guys a season that average about that number and you get 24 all-stars uh, this year. We have like almost 40 dudes <laughs> averaging 20 plus points per game. Like, so when people tell me like Shay should Shea Gilgis Alexander should have been an all-star. I'm like, okay, I totally get that. The numbers absolutely say that 22, six and five. He's, he's efficient from the floor, 50% from the field, 40% from three, like, I get the argument, but he plays for a non-playoff team, and he's one of 40 guys that has those numbers. Like, there's so many guys in the NBA. This is such a, you know, the, the scoring right now has gone up so much that I think we kind of are a little bit losing sight of just how much it's gone up and how much it affects things like this.
1: Man, it's crazy that you say that because I was watching a game uh, on YouTube, an old school game. It was a, a playoff game with the Heat and the Pacers. Uh, the Heat had the big three. The uh, Pacers had PG and Roy Hibbert, all those guys. Yeah. And I'm and I remember looking. It was the second quarter, and the score was like twenty nine to twenty four, with like six minutes left in the second quarter. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, no, that's that's the score with six minutes left in the first quarter nowadays. Like, it's crazy how much the game has evolved. Yeah. But you're right, man. Like so many guys are averaging like 20 points. Like Gordon Hayward, like he's having such a uh, an incredible season. Uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, he's having an incredible season. Like so, there's so many guys that you can't even keep track. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to narrow it down to just 24 All Stars. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys who who feel like they're deserving, but uh, they're going to get snubbed because one, you know, the record, the the market, like whatever the case may be. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see like, uh, the all-star game, if it's going to be as competitive as it was a year ago, because that all-star game, man, I, it was so, it was so much fun watching it. And it it was such an upgrade from watching Steph Curry lay on his stomach and watch Giannis do a windmill uh, and all that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the game itself because I love the competition, seeing the best go at it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know, we're we're just we're in this era right now where the three pointer has completely changed the game. The pace of games is so much faster. Uh, Nobody, I mean, the I I don't I've I've not looked at any like deficient uh, defense efficiency stats or anything like that. But I don't know about you, like just when I watch, it feels like there's significantly less effort defensively. Because I think it, it, nobody wants to close out on shooters. It takes too much effort. Instead, like, it's shoot the three, hope they miss, get the rebound, and then go down the court and you shoot a three. I mean, it's it's uh, it's wild, man. And it, it, uh, it, it just kind of, I think, changes the way that we have to have these conversations about things.
1: Yeah, agreed, man. Uh, when I watch these guys play defense, like, even the guys who are supposed to be elite defenders, like, they're not giving maximum effort man like it doesn't even seem like it it doesn't even seem like they're giving their maximum effort whatsoever and i watch dame and i watch steph and i and i just see how easy it is for these guys to get in the paint <laughs> and then i i watch lebron 10 years ago try to get into the paint and he's over here getting clobbered and steph and these guys are just like getting into the paint like it's just nothing like there's so much room from when Draymond sets the screen and then the, all that room in the mid range, and then he's just gonna pull up for a little floater. Yeah, man. Yeah. Just like the game is so the game has changed so much. Like defense was such a big thing back, back in the day, and it seems like now like people are worried about uh, getting their numbers. You know, not worried about stopping the other team from scoring. Uh, it's crazy. Like Brooklyn, like they're giving up like 130, 140 points, and their thing is well. As long as we get 143, like you know, we're not really tripping that much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like, and and it's not only just Brooklyn. Like people are talking about how bad of defense Brooklyn is. You're seeing 130, 140. Like you're seeing these points across the board. Like you're not, you're, you rarely see games where people score less than 100. And when you do score less than 100, or even at the 100 mark, it's a big deal. Like wow. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, man, it, it's crazy, man. I, I I would like to see uh, more of an effort defensively, but I don't know like how you change that. Like the league's rules, like the hand yeah. checking and all that, like it's changed so much. Like I don't even know uh, how you get back to a league where there's a lot of defense. And,
0: and to be honest with you, I mean, 20 teams get into the postseason. Like what's the point? Like what exactly it's just, the regular season is so watered down. Like I, I don't, I, I can't say that I really blame them. I mean, here's the deal. This is what I know. We will get to the postseason, and teams will start playing defense. Like, I'm not worried about that not being a part of the game when we get to that point, but I'm also not going to sit here like some of these assholes on television and tell you that, like, I think the Brooklyn Nets are going to go undefeated in the postseason because they're winning games at this incredible rate in the regular season. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they're completely different games. And this happens every year. We overreact to the way that some of these teams go on runs in the regular season when – half the teams aren't playing defense. Nobody's playing the style of basketball that you're actually going to see in the post season. It's the exact same reason that the bucks look like trash in the post season, but the last two years have been the best regular season team in the league. It's the reason why Russell Westbrook is one of the greatest players in NBA history in the regular season. And his team can't get out of the first round in the post season, right? Like it's a completely different game.
1: Absolutely. 100%. Like, uh, your point on the Bucks, Like, there's a reason why Giannis is a two-time MVP, but when the postseason comes, we see exactly, like, where he's lacking, you know? Uh, teams know uh, where a guy like Giannis is lacking. They know to make him shoot. They know to build a wall about, around guys like Zion, Giannis, these guys, Russell Westbrook. Um, but, you know, when you're preparing, you know, on, on, like, the second night of a back-to-back or, you know, something like that, you know, you're not really going to give, you know, your maximum effort. Yeah. But in the playoffs, you know, it's win or go home. You know, you want to win those games. So, uh, yeah, man, I definitely see where you're coming from, man. Uh, in the postseason, it's it's a completely different game. It's it's the reason why a guy like James Harden can average 35, 36 points in the regular season, and then in the postseason, people are wondering like, where'd he I don't go? Know what happened to, yeah, <laughs> yeah? Like, I don't know what happened to James Harden, but you know, for, for some reason, he just doesn't <laughs> seem to have it. Like. No, yeah. like if you really pay attention it's a different to different game. game, like they're, yeah, yeah. they're not just going to let him waltz into the paint and get that a little push floater or just let him dribble, 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 and then step back three. You know, they're not going to just let him do that like they do in the regular season. Uh, it's a completely different game, and people are, are trying, you know, way harder for sure.
0: Do you remember? I got this stat from Aaron yesterday, um, and this was mind blowing to me. Do you remember the seven seconds Phoenix Suns?
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Fun team For to watch. Sure. I mean, Stoudemire, Marion, Steve Nash. I mean, they, they kind of put a lot of what we're seeing today in motion back then. Do you remember how bad they were defensively?
1: Pretty much like the Brooklyn Nets.
0: Yeah, worst team in the, <laughs> they were the worst team in the NBA in defense. Yeah. They gave up 103 points per game. Worst team in the league. That team would be the best defensive team in the NBA today.
1: Wow. Oh, my God. That's incredible. That is insane. That's literally – that is insane. Yeah. They would be the best
0: defensive team in the NBA if they were playing this season.
1: Wow. That's incredible. That – wow. My mind is blown. That's incredible. Because that team was so bad. Like, picture the Brooklyn Nets now – that's basically what Phoenix was. They just – it was kind of just like, okay, you're going to score. Well, okay, stop us from scoring, and then, you know, we're going to get into a track meet. Let's just see who's uh, who's around in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And it was always Phoenix. Like, they had Amari who could go for days, Sean Marion who was playing the four. Uh, one year they had Joe Johnson. Uh, oh, Quentin yeah. Richardson, I forgot Joe uh, Steve Johnson. Nash, like all those, all these guys, like, it, you know, Steve Nash, like, he's just like, man, just guys keep up with me. Amari, I'm going to throw it up. Sean, I'm going to throw it up. Um, if they're clogging the paint, Joe, here you go. Quentin, here you go. Like yeah. that offense was incredible, man. And just to think like they were the worst defensive team in that era. And now, oh my God. Yeah. They would be the best defense. Dude, I'm not of- even kidding in-
0: you. I, 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 I said this yesterday. I remember watching oh it, watching a game at one point where a defender literally like got out of the way of a guy driving to the bucket and gave him the layup just so he could be in position to grab the ball as it was coming out of the net and chunk it down the and, court like really fast. <laughs> like like dude, what are you doing? And and that would be the best defensive team in the NBA today.
1: It's cr- man. It's incredible, man. Just the way that the league has changed because when you, when you look at it on the other hand, like the best defensive teams back then, like Indiana, Detroit, those teams back then, they were giving up like 70, 80 points. Yeah. And now we're getting teams giving up 120 and, and the Suns were giving up 103 and they would be the best in this. Yeah. In the league. Like that is incredible with like, when you got the Clippers who have like surge and, uh, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, a, a, a team with that much defense, and they're still giving up over 100 points probably. like, It's incredible, man. Yeah, That stat, man, yep. my mind is blown. I can't believe that. All right, I got
0: two more <laughs> stats for you before we hit the UFC stuff. Again, just kind of like showing how much the game has evolved. So going back to, again, I I referenced Kevin Durant earlier. Ten years ago, he led the league in scoring at 27.7 points per game. He was the scoring champion. So in that same season, I'll I'll let you guess this. How many players in the entire NBA do you think there were that averaged shooting five threes a game?
1: How many players in the league average five,
0: five, three point attempts,
1: not many, three
0: point point attempts.
1: Dang. Um, okay. Um, this is 2011. Yeah. So KD Ray Allen, uh, five of them.
2: (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, that's actually lower than the number, uh, 12. There were twelve wow. players ten years ago that averaged five three point attempts per game. In twenty twenty one, there are oh eighty-five players <laughs> that average shooting five three point attempts per game.
1: That's incredible, man. Oh. Jeez. And then with that, oh my not God. only
0: are they shooting drastically more. So this one only goes back five years. In 2016, there were 17 players that shot 40% from three. 40% or better. Which, you know, kind of used to be that magic number, like if you were a 40% shooter, like you were among the elite in the NBA. Yeah, Yeah. so 17 in 2016 averaged uh, or shot at least 40% or better from three. In 2021, there are 54 players that shoot 40% or better.
1: So, so now is 40% not even a, a, a good mark to have, to have anymore? Like,
0: like I, 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 you almost have to go to like 50% is almost like where you have to say that's the elite shooter.
1: Yeah, and, and I saw like uh, once they were talking about Seth Curry possibly having like a 50-50-95 season. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what the heck? Like, what is going on yeah. nowadays, man? Like, I, I mean, I, granted the shooting is better, but is that just the defense being that poor. I I think it's a combination. Yeah.
0: It's, it's certainly a combination of everybody is playing this style. So in the off season you have, I mean, big guys never used to shoot threes, right? Like every, if you, if you're a big and you don't shoot threes, now you're a liability, right? Like everybody has to be like a stretch four or a stretch five. Like you've, you've just got to have at least the threat of that in your arsenal. Uh, so I, First of all, everybody is trying to stretch the floor, so everybody's practicing shooting, um, which makes a big difference. And then again, I think just pure volume and the fact that because there's so much volume, you know, teams aren't covering as much space. And yeah, we're seeing less defense, more open shots. It's, uh, yeah, it's wild, man.
1: And, uh, and then on one hand, uh, you have teams who aren't, aren't even starting centers, like Brooklyn, they'll go and start Jeff Green at center. So if he's doing the if he's doing a pick and pop and you're worried about uh, Kyrie and James <laughs> Harden attacking the paint, you just leave Jeff Green out there naked to uh, shoot a three. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the teams are are uh, the space is is crazy nowadays. I remember watching the Bulls 10 years ago when uh, they had Derrick Rose as uh, the MVP. He was so dynamic in the front court, but they couldn't do anything in the playoffs because you had Joaquin Noah who couldn't shoot. Boozer couldn't shoot. Uh, Keith Bogut could barely shoot. <laughs> and then, like, New All Day can shoot sometimes. So, yeah. like, you build a wall around those guys, like, nothing's going to happen. And, and now, Embiid can shoot. Jokic can shoot. Like, all the bigs can shoot. So, it's just, like, it's it's not surprising that the numbers are yeah. are, are how they are. But it's just wild when you actually just – look at it from 10 years or five years to yeah. what it is now. It's it's incredible. Yeah.
0: It's, it's massive evolution in the game in a very short window of time.
1: For sure. A very short window of time. And I guess I just go to show like what Steph Curry did to the league, man, because as soon as he came in and started shooting threes, him and Clay Thompson, like, and then you, uh, the league got smaller with Draymond and then kind of made centers, you know, unusable. And now, you know, Embiid and Jokic and uh, all these guys are bringing centers back. And, man, just the evolution, it it, it keeps getting better, man. I I just wonder, like, I don't want to go off topic, but, like, the GOAT debate, when I think of the GOAT debate, and i just like, imagine putting Michael Jordan in this era now. Like, I wonder how many points he would have. Insane. (laughs) Insane.
0: Well, it's, you know, like, people want to say, he didn't shoot threes or he wasn't good at shooting threes. And I'm like, I mean, I, th- that, that's crazy to me because take, for instance, a guy like Paul George, Paul George is shooting 48% this year.
1: Yeah. Very efficient.
0: He was like that, that MVP candidate year that he had in Oklahoma city. He was a 38% shooter. Like and that's I how
1: that he was doing incredible. Yes.
0: That's how much his game <laughs> And he's shooting seven a game. Like, it's not like he's barely shooting. And he's shooting tough threes. He's not a spot-up shooter waiting for kickouts. Like, I, I, I don't know. I I just, I, I, they didn't play the game that way. So there weren't a bunch of guys that were just, you know, shooting that many threes. But I don't know. I don't, I don't uh, LeBron, look at LeBron's three-point shooting percentage over the last oh. few years. It's getting better every year. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. where the game is going. So this idea that, the guys of the nineties were all bad shooters and couldn't have shot the basketball to me is just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And if you go back and watch them, like their mid range shots were always like most of them were good and they, it was more of an inside type game. And, you know, Jordan was just going in, dunking on people. You just couldn't stop him when he, when he rose up, but there were games when he would hit six threes and a half, like (laughs) against Portland, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, if it was necessary, he would have did it. And as he got older, he started moving out. He started uh, developing that fadeaway and uh, shooting threes more. So I think, you know, if he would have been in the league now, it just would have been an adjustment, you know, just start, you know, he would have worked on shooting threes just like when, uh, the set or, um, the Pistons were beating him up. He got stronger, you know, <laughs> Yeah, he just would have worked on his three pointer and, you know, probably would just would have dominated the league shooting three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: probably. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, yeah, I just, it's funny to me that we're, we're watching guys get better shooting the three because it's become more of a, a relevant thing in the NBA in this short window. And we're watching guys, three point percentages drastically increase And then we just like, we have these conversations about the nineties or the eighties versus today. And it's like, oh, those guys could have never made the threes that these guys are (laughs) like, what? Nobody in today's NBA, except like Steph Curry was doing this five years ago. So yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's, uh, let's review last week because we have to, not because I want to but uh it was it was not pretty. I actually I started out two and zero, and i was I was feeling really good about it and then I told you last week, just to be on the opposite side of you, I would take Olinic because you took docus, and i I didn't feel good about that whatsoever. Um that was not a very pretty fight, but uh let's start with Arlovsky Aspinall, you and I both agreed last week. Aspinall's a guy that I think has a really bright future and is potentially a guy to really look out for as far as being a heavyweight champion at some point. Um, he, he said, I think in his post-fight uh, commentary, that he wasn't necessarily ready for one of the elites. He wants to continue to, to get experience and, and take it a little slow as far as the step up in competition. But, uh, man, I, I, I was pretty impressed.
1: I was very impressed with Tom Aspinall. And when you have a guy who wants to gain more experience, that's the mark of someone who you know has that potential to be great you know what I'm saying so uh he took he took on a guy Andre Olaski, who's been in the game for a long time and you th- tend to think like Tom Aspinall's been knocking guys out you know been tearing them up with boxing he's trained with Tyson Fury so you so you kind of thought like okay Tom Aspinall's probably just gonna pick him apart on the feet it was kind of was he did a little bit feet. yeah it was you know he didn't have like that clear advantage right. And then he just shot across the cage with a with a power double, and then you're like, "Whoa, where did that come from?" And then next thing you know, he takes his back, and then next thing you know, he's got a choke. Like before you can even wrap your mind around him getting this fight to the ground and everything, the fight's over. Yeah. And Ongarlovsky's sitting there like, "What the hell just happened?" Like, I, you know, I just he just submitted me. Like, what the hell? I I didn't see that coming. So you know. It just goes to show that he's evolving early, and that's scary for this division. Yeah, And just the fact that he wants to gain more experience, that's even scarier to me. And, you know, the more fights he gets, more experience, the more experience that he gets, um, I can see him main event a fight night, you know, in his next couple of fights probably. I mean, he's definitely a scary prospect for sure.
0: He he also said that uh you know he cuz he he got some good shots in there and then he he was going to the body when he had Orlovsky on the fence uh but he mentioned also and I thought this was a sign of a a guy that's probably more mature than you would anticipate him being at this point as a fighter but fight IQ stuff but he was like I felt his power and I realized like I need to switch this thing up there's there's some definite power there that I can feel and he switched it up and got the got the sub and I mean you know I, I not a lot of young fire fighters, I think, go into a fight expecting it to be one way and then realize, like, hey, this could be dangerous. Let's switch up the game plan.
1: Yeah, yeah. a lot of young fighters just kind of go in there for the fun of it, you know, just to maybe get into a brawl, you know, you know, do what your coaches say. But then again, you know, once you're out there, your mind is kind of just going crazy. But Tom Aspinall in the in the fire, he realizes, like, okay, this guy's got power. Let me switch things up and give him a different look. So, yeah, like you said, man, it's it's a mark of a very mature guy at a young age. And he's only going to get better from here, man. Uh, his ceiling, it's yeah. – I'm going to steal a Michael Jordan quote. The ceiling is the – <laughs> <laughs> okay, That's right. one of my <laughs> favorites. Yeah, yeah, but his, his ceiling, it, it's crazy, yeah. man. He, he has the mark of a, a, of a future champion for sure.
0: We also had Chris Dawkis over Alexei Olenek. Uh, Daukus is now number 10, by the way, in the, uh, in the latest rankings. So he jumps into the top 15. Olenek drops out of the top 15. But he's another guy that looked, I-, I thought, looked more in shape than he has in his previous fights and looked really good.
1: Yeah, you could tell that he definitely took this one uh, up a notch as far as his uh, nutrition, uh, the camp, like everything. You, kind, you, you could just tell. Alexei Olenek is a big name, and he knew that this was his chance to to break into that uh, top 10, break into the rankings, and he definitely took it to him. He didn't give Olenek no chances. Uh, you know, I kind of thought that uh, Olenek would kind of maybe get it to the ground and kind of try to, you know, pick him apart from there, but, you know, Chris Dawkins never let it get to that point, man. Uh, he just kind of had his way with him, and after a while, man, it kind of looked like Olenek wanted away. Uh he wanted out, man. <laughs> you know, I think he – kind of took a little bit more damage than he should have, but, you know, uh, in this game, man, you just got to keep going until the ref stops you.
0: We have, uh, we, we certainly have some, some new blood in the heavyweight division. Let me get your thoughts on this before we move on to the other fights. Would you go Aspinaldakis now, or would you let both of these guys continue to, to gain a little traction on their own before you stick them against each other?
1: Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I wouldn't stick them in there now. I would let them both kind of build because I think that fight could be way better yeah. down the line. If you put them in there now, you know they're both you know going to make mistakes. I remember um, I kind of felt the same way when uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa were both coming up. Like they were basically on a collision course to fight each other, but I was I didn't want them to fight each other yeah. right then. You know, I wanted it. Both of those guys, I felt like could have been champions. It was just kind of a matter of who was going to get there first. And Izzy was the bigger star, so he got there first. And it's kind of the same thing here, you know, with Aspinall and Dawkins. I feel like, you know, this has the makings of being a, a very, very good fight. Let them, let them build, you know. Let them keep fighting these uh, other ranked guys, uh, older guys. And then we'll probably uh, see a great fight down the line.
0: All right, so let's talk about the, the second fight of the night. And that was uh, Imovov and Phil Haas. We were on the opposite side of the fence on these picks, and I got to tell you, man, that final, like, well, I guess it was like the last minute of the second, maybe a little longer, and then the entire third, I was not sitting down, I was not happy about what I was seeing, I was incredibly nervous because I didn't think Haas was going to get to the finish line, he did, he got the decision, uh, so I got the point there, but I, I... that was one of those fights where I just felt like Haas was on a roller coaster ride, and you just didn't know if that car was going to stop.
1: Yeah, he started out really aggressive. It kind of felt like he just – he kind of felt like he was going to go in there and just kind of get rid of him and within the uh, first minute. But, you know, Imavov proved that he's tough. Yeah. And he still – that he was still going to be there. And then after a while, Phil Haas was like, whew. You know, I kind of <laughs> might have, you know, drained myself after that first round. And then you started to see Imavov just kind of turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. And, you know, it kind of looked like Hobbs was going to go down there a lot of times. He was in trouble
0: multiple times.
1: He was definitely in trouble. He got hit with some shots. And I was just like, here it comes. And I felt like, I was like, man, poor Kobe, man. This always happens when we go against each other. Just, (laughs) just, just, you know, something ridiculous happens. And I'm just going to get this point. So I was just kind of waiting for it. But when the fight ended, I was like, ooh, you know, I don't know if they're going to go with uh, Imovav's, you know, activity because, you know, Haas, you know, kind of hit that, hit that slope. And then, you know, I kind of felt like maybe Imov would uh, squeeze out a decision, but they they went with Haas. You know, it could have went either way, but yeah, man, Haas was definitely in trouble.
2: I didn't know (laughs) if he got
0: hurt multiple times or if he just never recovered from the first time. Like, I kind of just felt like more – he just never really fully got back to a hundred percent or never really fully recovered that first big blow that he took that, that you could tell rattled him like, yeah, he was kind of in survival mode the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. Kind of, kind of in survival mode. And, you know, with him being so tired, you know, you kind of just felt, you kind of just knew like, man, if he takes like one or two or, you know, a couple, a combination clean, like, you know, it's probably not going to go well for him. And, you know, He's got the power, so, you know, you had to respect his power. And Imovav, you know, he was kind of being real cautious with his approach. But you could tell him getting tired, and Imovav was uh, was stepping up the activity. And, you know, I think maybe if you just would have gave him maybe another minute, especially in that third round, man, Yeah. Uh, at the end of that fight, man, I, I could just tell Phil Haas was probably counting down in his head. 17, yeah. Yeah. 16, you yeah. know. <laughs> He's just probably just like, please, let me hear those clappers. Let me hear those, yeah. man, because, like. It, it was, it was definitely not going well for him. And if he probably would have had another 30 seconds, it probably would have gotten. Yeah,
0: I, I I absolutely believe that with a minute left. I, I thought there was no, no way that, that they were going to see the final bell. Um, Yeah. Once he was, you know, compromised, it just never really, it never really seemed like he regained traction at all. So, um, I was nervous as hell, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was nervous as hell and you're right. I th- I thought it could have gone either way. I felt lucky to get that point, but, uh, I'll take it all day. Um, all right, Charles Rosa and Derek Minner. This was <laughs> Derek Minner really looked good. Really surprised me. Um, I just a, a really impressive performance.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Charles Rosa, uh, he fought. He's fought some really tough guys. Bryce Mitchell, Yair Rodriguez. Uh, I remember we were going down the list of the guys that he fought, and I was like, man, he's fought a murderer's yeah. row. So. Uh, I remember picking Minner uh, because of his previous fight. He submitted uh, – I, f- I forget who he submitted. Uh, dang, who did he submit? TJ Laramie. Yeah, yeah, TJ Laramie. And everyone was raving about how good that Laramie was. Yeah. And it was kind of just like Derek Minner is just a guy for a Laramie to get in there with and get a win against. And Derek Minner completely shut that down and got that submission win. Now this fight, Charles Rosa, that, it's, a, it's a step up in competition for sure. But he definitely dominated him from bell to bell. It was kind of just like Rosa had no no shot. there was no point in that fight where you felt like Rosa is just gonna pull something no. out of the hat and uh, and get a get a win from start to finish Miner had Miner was in control and uh, dominated that fight man. I was blown away. I mean, even though I picked him, I definitely didn't think that it was gonna be a complete shutout.
0: I thought that was gonna be a good fight and yeah, you know i I, I I leaned toward Rosa, but it's it's not like I didn't think Derek Minner was gonna. I, I thought it was gonna be really good. I didn't think it was gonna be a completely dominant performance by Minner or or Rosa for that matter. So uh, I, I'm just kind of excited to see where Derek Minner goes from here. What 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 they kind of uh, put up next for him because that was uh, that was just one of those like I guess shocking performances. Uh, just I, I, I shouldn't say out of nowhere, but I guess just really unexpected for me.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know if he's ranked yet. He's probably not ranked uh, as of now. But uh, the guys at the at the bottom of that division, man, they're going to have to watch for him because he's uh, he's a very tough prospect. And uh, if they're not careful, man. Derek Minner is not only going to dominate you, but he's going to end up submitting you. Uh, He's got a bright future, man. Uh, I don't know where they where they go from here. Uh, they probably give him someone uh, ranked in the top fifteen because you know he's di- he's finished one guy who they were high on, and he's dominated another guy who's got a lot of experience. So I think at this point, you, you put him in there with someone in the top fifteen or someone who's right at the yeah. at yeah. I
0: think they said twenty one of his twenty six wins have been first round submissions. I think that's what they said.
1: Um. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> because w- w- the way he's able to dominate people on the ground, man, it- it's incredible. And then, not only that, but he looked comfortable on the feet too. Yeah, I mean, he he looked like he 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 was pressuring Rosa and making it really tough on him. And he was making it to where Rosa didn't know like, do I need to be defending or do I need to be uh, watching for the takedown? Like, are we in a striking match? Like, what? Like, what- like what's up? And whenever he was focused on one thing, Mina would switch to the other so that's the mark of a, of a really mature fighter right there. All right.
0: So the co-main event, this one had a little bit of, uh, a little bit of controversy. I think at least on my Twitter timeline, there were people that felt differently about the outcome and, and whether, uh, Kunitskaya or Vieira should have won this fight. Um, give me your thoughts and then, and then I'll, uh, I'll tell you my thoughts.
1: Well, uh, we both picked Kaelin uh, Vieira because we both we both thought that Vieira was just better everywhere. Um, as far as the as far as the finish, uh, I was kind of on the fence because it was kind of just what your preference was because right. you never know what the judge is like. So on one hand, Vieira kind of had the takedowns and it was kind of. In control, yeah. Not doing much, but control you know, she time. Was she dominated the
0: control time, yeah.
1: Yeah, there was control time, but there wasn't activity. Right. There was control time, but there wasn't activity. But when when Yana was on the feet, or when she had any opportunity, she was trying to not only finish the fight, she was trying to damage her. Like whatever the case was, Yana was trying. To, was she was super aggressive. She was landing the more devastating blows. And it just got to the point where Vieira was just like, okay, I'm just going to take you down and we're just going to lay here. You know, I remember you were telling me about, about the striking numbers and I didn't look at them until after the fight. But for, I remember telling you, like, for someone to have control time that long and for her to have striking numbers that low, there, it, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever yeah. that, that Yana won. I felt like she definitely deserved it, especially with how she ended the fight. Now, in, in the third round, uh, Camille Vieira was kind of just laying on her. And then when, when Yana had a chance to uh, to get on top of her and land some blows, she was going all out. She emptied yeah. the tank. And that's that's someone who's really trying to win the fight versus someone who's just laying there just trying to edge out a decision. Like, someone, she's trying to get this fight uh, finished. You know what I'm saying? So um, uh Viera missed her opportunity. You know, she had all that control time, but she wasn't active. And Yana, you know, she, she benefited from being as active as she was.
0: I thought when that fight ended, that in my mind the judges there was no there was no doubt. In my mind, the judges were going to give that to Caitlin Vieira. Like I, I didn't even think it was a question. I was shocked when Kunetska got the decision, and I thought it was the right decision. So that's that's where I think it's interesting because. I just feel like sometimes in this sport, ground control is so highly rewarded, even when you're not doing anything. And I thought that the fact that she ended up with, like, what, seven minutes of ground control time, I think, in that fight, I was just like, I, I even though she didn't do anything with it, I just thought she was going to get rewarded for that. And, you know, Knutka had the small spurts where, you know, especially like at the end, I, you know, I think some people thought maybe she stole the fight at the end. I was glad to see them reward activity and damage because for as many people as there are that don't like the UFC and and hate, you know, a lot of the fights like that when you have a fighter that is kind of trying to win from points and just ground control time. If you're not doing anything with that, you're not winning the fight. Even though, you know, ground control is one thing. If you're punching, that's totally fine. But if you're not really doing anything, that's where I think people have the biggest issue. And, you know, we've seen fights in the past, Will, where, you know, one guy may hit the other guy 60 times, but nothing ever really, I mean, there's no damage. Then the other guy hits you 10 times, but puts you down maybe twice. Like, how do you, right. how do you score that fight? You know what I mean? Like one guy hits you a lot more, the other guy does the more, more damage on, you know, fewer strikes. You know, people are kind of torn, I think, in those scenarios. And I like seeing damage rewarded damage and activity
1: absolutely uh th- th- this fight for sure damage and activity definitely was the was the thing that that definitely put her over the top because kayden vieira's ground ground control time she wasn't doing a thing with it i mean here and there there were some submission attempts but there wasn't like any you know you could have throw like some elbows <laughs> right. you know Throw some punches, right. you know. Do do something on the ground, you know. Add up the numbers. Like, Khabib when he takes when he takes somebody down, he's not just you know laying on top of them. You know, he's trying to advance. He's trying to he's ground and pounding. Uh, he's looking for the finish. Rarely do you see him just try to you know squeeze out. Wait of it out, yeah. Get
0: get on top and wait it out, yeah.
1: Yeah, like uh, and and granted, she was tired. She missed weight, so uh, you know that's something like that, Probably played a factor, but um, just to be, just to have that much control time and you know not do anything with it and then expect a win, I mean, it's just Yana was definitely deserving of that win because of all the all the damage that she gave her, uh, and and it was just in spurts. It was just not much time, and she was putting everything into her strikes, trying to finish the fight. So you know, Yana's definitely. She was definitely deserving of that decision for sure.
0: I, I wish I could find the graphic or the stats uh, for that fight, but it was something like Caitlin Vieira had like 16 strikes landed and,
1: and Kunitsky had like... Of control time.
0: Yeah, and seven <laughs> minutes of control time and Kunitsky had like 100. And it's just like,
1: yeah.
0: how do you... I mean, again, I thought that they were going to give it to Vieira. I was super glad that they rewarded damage and activity because... Uh, You know, I, I just, I, I, that's what we're, that's what we're there to watch. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. We're there. We're there to see someone try to win the fight. Right. You know, not, not just, you know, lay on top of someone and just, you know, get a decision because, you know, the judges and everything because you're laying on top of them. Yeah. Yeah. You want to see somebody actually go out there, put everything on the line, go out there and win the fight. Uh, And Caleb Vieira did not come in there uh, trying to win that fight, you know, Yana definitely wanted it more and it showed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not to
0: say, you know, like I, I, there are people that listening to this and that may confuse what we're saying with, you know, people winning fights on the ground or in the clinch. I know, you know, some people don't like seeing that. I'm not talking about fighting that style. I'm saying when you're in those opportunities, doing something with them instead of just writing it out to the final bell, hoping that you're going to outpoint the other person.
1: Right. And, and, People were giving Usman a hard time because of what of how he fought Masvidal, but in those clinch situations, when the, when he had him down, he was always working. He right, he always, always
0: working. Yes,
1: he he was always working, punching. Uh, and then when he was in the clinch, he was hitting him with his shoulder, foot stomping, uh, body shots. Like he was never he was never stopping. He, there was never a point where I mean, and you can say uh, that he snoozeman whatever, but he was working the entire time. And you can't say that uh, Usman was just kind of just holding them and just trying to uh, right. edge out a decision. Right. He was working that entire time. And, you know, Caitlin Vieira, she's just going to have to take this and, and learn from it. You know, when she, she was getting good takedowns yeah. and the control time, it's great. But now from now on, the judges are going to be wanting activity and damage. And she was in a position to do that, but she just didn't. Yeah. Which brings us to our
0: main event. Uh, we both had Curtis Blades winning the main event. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you; I thought that he fought pretty much a perfect first round. Um, we kind of we both said it a week ago. Derek Lewis has one route to win this fight, and that's landing a big shot. And you know, Curtis Blades just has to be very smart about the way he's going to to fight this guy. He has insane power, more knockouts in, than anybody in UFC history. And I thought he fought the perfect first round. I thought he was off to a great start in the second round. And, you know, we were we were talking before we started recording this. Like it just blew my mind that he went from fighting such a smart fight to all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere. It wasn't like in look, I'm I'm not an expert by any means, but it didn't look to me like there was some big opening to go in for a takedown or like Derek Lewis was off balance or like like Derek Lewis was literally standing there, almost squared up, waiting, and for some unknown reason, Curtis Blades goes into the heaviest-handed hitter maybe in the history of the sport, just head down, eats a massive shot, lights out, and and I just I thought that for some weird reason he just forced the take it takedown in a situation where he really didn't need to.
1: He definitely didn't need to. I remember uh, telling you last week uh, I felt like Curtis Blades was going to win, and granted, he was a what minus like three, 400 Yeah, 400, favorite. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, us picking him was valid. You know, uh, Curtis Wage is an incredible fighter, but um, the fight started, I kind of thought that Derek Lewis would put himself in a position to get taken down. Because normally when he starts his fights, he kind of does something crazy. And then, you know, <laughs> right. then he kind of settles into the fight yeah. and, you know, the fight starts. But this one, he kind of, he was just kind of, he kind of laid back, you know. And then, Curtis Blades shot in for a takedown real early, and Derek kind of cracked him. And then from there, I think Curtis knew, like, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, just shoot, you know, just just to shoot. Let me just, you know, start doing some feints. And then he did well for the rest of the round. After he got, after he took that big shot in yeah. the first round, the rest of the round he was moving, feinting, kicking, fighting from a distance, getting back and Derek up against the cage. He had some good body jabs. Some good body taps. Yeah. Uh He w- he was definitely working. He tried to take him down again, uh, and, and credit to Derek. It was he had he had uh, one leg, and credit to Derek. Derek didn't go down. Yeah. Uh, Derek defended that takedown. So so Curtis, you know, didn't get rattled. Went back to doing his thing. Went back to you know fainting. You know, just kind of working. Yeah, distance, just just working, and then you know, round ends and then, you know, we get into the next round. It start. it starts out with him doing the same thing. You know, it starts out with him just kind of, you know, doing his thing. And then it, you know, I don't know if he felt like I was telling you before, I don't know if he felt desperate to get the fight to the ground or if he just was like, I'm Curtis Blaze, like I should be getting Derek Lewis down whenever I want. Yeah. So I for me, it was one of those two because I don't see why he would just force a takedown from a, such, a, such a predictable takedown at that to where, like, he's just dips his head right into it, and Derek Lewis is just like, oh, this is what I've been waiting on. Right. Like, you know, and a perfect uppercut, and it was just a wrap from there. Man, uh, you know, when, it, when we talk about Fight IQ um, – and Curtis Blades definitely showed poor uh, fight IQ. And Derek Lewis, on the other hand, he showed uh, great fight IQ. Uh, he didn't uh, go away from his game plan, which was let Curtis come to me. Uh, but Curtis was doing well by being at distance at first, and then he forced the shot, and Derek was waiting on him, man. Yeah. It was vicious knockout.
0: I thought Curtis looked good on his feet. I thought he looked quick. Um yeah. you, know, you mentioned the faints and I, I I he was just putting everything together I thought the way that he needed to as long as it was going to take to you know make Derek Lewis in some way start to come forward or start to do something yeah. other than just waiting for the one big shot cuz here's the thing after 5 minutes anybody watching that fight could have said if you if you sat down anybody and asked them what's happening here anybody watching that fight could have said the knockout guy in this fight is clearly just staying back, waiting on the knockout opportunity. like it was yeah. that's all he did for the entire first five minutes. Now, I'll give Curtis Blade some credit from this standpoint. We all know the Derek Lewis power. We've seen it on display multiple times. We've seen him get completely dominated and then win a fight with one shot. So we we all understand that that there is dynamite in that hand, and it's your. I mean, you are always one small mistake away from getting taken out. So I, I imagine being on your feet, even when you're having success in that manner, is somewhat unnerving. Just knowing that that power is right there in his hands. But again, you know he was he was fighting such a great fight, and with Derek Lewis just sitting back, waiting and waiting and waiting. And waiting. I thought he could have done that for, a, I mean, as long as it takes to make Derek long, Lewis, yeah. you know, change to him. him. And and I thought something that was very telling, I think, in hindsight, leading up to that fight is in, in, Curtis, Lewis, or in Curtis Blades' um, interviews leading up to this fight, how many times did you hear him talk about this fight will go where I want it to go?
1: Yeah.
2: And,
0: I, you know, I, I think maybe at some point he just felt like Derek, by us standing here, Derek Lewis is dictating that we're on the feet. And I think that was the wrong perspective to have. By you staying on the feet and staying back and doing what you were doing, you're dictating that at some point he's going to have to try to win the fight and he's going to have to change his style.
1: Exactly. Uh, I couldn't have said it better, man. Because uh, if he just would have picked him apart for four and a half rounds or four rounds, whatever the case may be, after a while, Derek, his corner would have told him like, Hey man, gotta we're going go. to yeah. it up. Yeah, we're gonna have to go. Like you're down four to zero or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, you're down, you're going to have to get a finish. And I feel like that's what his, the game plan was. Like, we're just going to um, see how long we can stay away from him and see if we can get him to engage with us and just see if we can, you know, land a big punch. I feel like that's clearly what the game plan was. Um, and he wasn't gonna force it like like I thought he was. I thought he was gonna come across the cage and uh, you know just kind of put himself in a position for for Curtis Blades to take him down. Derek never did that. He stayed back, and you know Blades and Blades his counter to that was to was to be uh, stay back, be at distance, and you know to kind of pick him apart. But you know the fact that he just wanted to try to get that takedown. Um, And just how sloppy it was, you know, you don't see, uh, Khabib or DC or, you know, some of these guys, you know, just go for a a takedown just because, like, I remember watching, uh, DC fight, uh, Derek Lewis and it kind of seemed like DC was taking him down so easy, but his, he was setting it up the whole time. He was making it to where, uh, Derek Lewis had to respect him on his feet. Right. But whenever Derek Lewis kind of got comfortable, like, oh, okay, we're, uh, you know, we're in a firefight, then he took him down. You know, he never, he never, Derek never knew when DC was gonna strike and when he was gonna wrestle. Curtis definitely didn't uh, take that approach. Um, he, after Derek cracked him, then Curtis was like, okay, I'm gonna uh, be at distance. And then after a while, he's like, okay, now it's time for me to do something else. Yeah. But Derek kind of already had him figured out. He had his timing down. You know, he he had it all figured out, and then you know he was able to land that big uppercut. So, uh, Curtis is still one of the best guys, heavyweights in the world. I mean, he can come back from this. You know, but you know now he's going to have that rep, that reputation of he's going to be great. But yeah, you know, in those big fights, right before it's time for him to get a title shot, he you know he's going to face that heavy hitter and yeah. you know get knocked out. So.
0: I think bottom line, Der- Derek Lewis is just more patient than Curtis Blades in that fight,
1: right? And it and, and it's crazy that you say that. It's crazy that that's a thing because the whole time Curtis Blades was talking about Derek Lewis doesn't take uh, <laughs> training serious. He doesn't uh, take MMA serious, you know. And for me, Derek definitely seemed like he had a game plan. He was strategic, uh he definitely seemed like he took it serious. His, his body fat was down. I, yeah, he so looked
0: he, as good he, as I think we've ever seen him.
1: It, exactly. You know, he looked really slim. And so, uh, so well, slim for his standards, <laughs> i say. Uh, but, you know, Derek looked good, man. Uh, and I think it's, it's scary for the rest of the division knowing that Derek is taking this serious and that he's working on his cardio. He's working on the little things in MMA because we know him as a knockout guy, but if he's working on those little things, man, he's going to be a tough out for everyone. Yeah,
0: I know that Stipe and Francis are fighting for the belt, and I know that apparently John Jones has next. Um, I know the first Francis-Derek Lewis fight was a complete dud, and because of that, there are probably some people that are like, no, please don't do this again. But I am 100% in on a francis and Ganu derek Lewis 2.
1: Man, I'm all in on a uh, Francis-Derek Lewis uh, two fight. I just don't see how it's not exciting this time around. Right. Because I think, okay, just imagine if we were doing this this back then, how high we would be for Francis and Derrick. Like, we would be talking about that being like, who's going to get knocked out? It's just going to be a matter of timing, you know, who's going to get knocked out first. We would be so excited Flip a
0: coin to pick your winner type
1: deal. Yeah, Yeah. and then for it to just go the way it did, we probably would have came back just like, we probably would have been cussing the whole episode. Like, what the (laughs) hell was that? Like, that was pathetic. Like, what the the fuck were they doing? They were just standing there dancing. Like, what? Come on, man. Like, you don't want to see those two heavy hitters fight tactically or, you know, be timid or whatever the case was. I know Derek Lewis was dealing with bat- with his back, and I know uh, Francis had just lost to Stipe, so maybe the timing was wrong for them to fight each other, but you don't want to, you know, it's, for people to say that that was the worst, one of the worst fights in heavyweight history or in UFC history, period, it's definitely granted. You know, it's, it's yeah. definitely warranted for me. But with how both these guys have fought since then, I am one hundred percent all in for a rematch with those yeah. two because I don't see a scenario where I don't see a scenario where it's boring because I just saw Francis do uh some windmills at Jarzinha Rosa's strike and get a knockout. I just saw Francis do that. So I don't know. I don't know if you just weren't afraid of Jarsino's, uh power or whatever, but I know you got that in you to just say "fuck it." I'm just gonna go forward, and I know how Derek Lewis is too. So I feel like uh, uh, yeah. a rematch with these two. These guys are just gonna meet in the middle, and we're just gonna see who is really the heaviest hitter in the. Yeah. Uh, In the UFC.
0: Yeah. Those guys have heard it. I mean, you know, it's, I don't think they're oblivious to the way that the UFC fan base feels about their first fight and what everybody anticipated and what they saw. Uh, Is that the, is that the biggest letdown fight that you can remember?
1: Absolutely. 100%. I don't think, I don't think I was, I've been more excited for a fight. Like, I mean, for that to be just a three round non-title fight, I was so excited for that fight. Uh Like there's there's been like of course like the Khabib Connor you know there's been some good really good matchups like on paper and stuff but when you hear Francis uh, Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis like you know like the first thing that comes to your mind is heavy hitter heavy hitter not only that but these are scary heavy yeah. hitters like these guys separate people from their consciousness right. with hurt you not bad even the hardest shot yeah like not even the hardest shot like Derek Lewis that knocked that uppercut like. It didn't even land like fully flush, you know. And with the shot that Francis hit, knocked out Jarzinho with, I don't think that even landed fully flush. He was going. He was going backwards, wasn't he? Uh, Jarzinho or Derek or uh, Francis? Francis. No, he was going. forward. Was he going he forward? Was, uh, yeah, he he was going forward. Jarzinho was was backing up, and uh, and he he got caught. But it, it didn't seem like it was just one of those. Hey, man. It wasn't what Francis did to Alistair Overeem. Now that was scary. It wasn't one of those. It was just kind of you know, and it just just one of them landed and just took Jarzino out. So, you know, these guys aren't the heaviest hitters, or uh, these guys are the heaviest hitters, and it doesn't take much for them to separate someone from the consciousness, man. And man, yeah, I, I man, I probably want to see that fight more. Than either one of those guys going for the title. I want to see oh, uh, Francis and Derek too, absolutely. for sure.
0: Yeah, if we could, uh, if we could just put De- he- Derek Lewis said that he's all oiled up and ready to go again. So <laughs> let's just sub Derek Lewis into uh, UFC. What is it, two sixty? Yeah, uh, and then give, throw John Stipe Jones John. against Stepe. <laughs> perfect. Let the Ngannou Lewis winner have the title shot at the at the uh, Stepe John Jones. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. It's perfect.
1: Yeah, man, we should just go ahead and apply to be matchmakers, man. Because <laughs> the UFC would be way funner with us. Yeah.
0: The only, the only fight that I can think of for me off the top of my head that I think was as big a letdown, if not worse, might have been um, Izzy Romero.
1: Oh, yeah. That fight yeah, that one, yeah.
0: sucked so bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah that, was, that and was
0: like right as the UFC had really built Izzy as a superstar right so like right I think like that probably added an element to it whether that's fair or not I think there was just this element of this is the future of the sport this is the next big thing superstar he's you know the fresh champion and then you know obviously we all know what we've seen from Yoel Yo Romero for years and so there was this idea that we were about to see something really special and then for 25 minutes we got the two guys like taunting each other
1: yeah that that Brutal. was such a weird fight man uh just the build like I was so excited by the build because it it was all about easy calling out the scariest guy in the division and it wasn't just like they weren't just making that up like Yoel was literally the scariest guy in the division uh his his power it's ridiculous man and He's got his his body. It's he's chiseled. You know that's that is one scary individual, man. And Izzy called him out, talking about if my if my legacy is going to be complete, I need to beat Joel Romero. Like the build was perfect. You know it was great. And then I remember watching them at the uh, at the weigh-ins, and they had like one of those long stare downs, like. Even, you know, Dana was, like, out of the picture, you know. He was like, good luck, you guys. Kind of walked away. And yeah. These guys were still, like, staring at each other. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, oh, they're, you know, they're going to come to fight, you know. And, I, you know, I was really excited about that one. And then, you know, fight starts. And, you know, Izzy, he, he's not going to be a guy that gets thrown off this game plan. And I feel like that's what a lot of these guys are going to try to do to him now. Yeah. They're going to try to get him out of, you know, his game plan. And, you know, Yoel just kind of you know, stood there. He did <laughs> like, and, yeah, you know. He like the whole fight, there. he's just like. And, and Izzy's like, <laughs> okay, like, what do I, you know, how yeah. do I approach this? And like, he tried a couple of different ways. Like, he tried to and just, you know, engage and just kind of go at him. And Yoel cracked him. And then, okay. And then Izzy's like, okay, I can't do that. So he just kind of leg kicked him the whole time and and got a finish. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was a big letdown, but golly, man. Francis and Derek. For, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's close. I, yeah. I, those two definitely are, are probably at the top. Yeah.
0: Well, like timing plays such an important role, I think, in some of these. Cause again, I think the, the Yoel Romero, Izzy fight had so much, it was so narrative driven. And, you know, like yeah. I said, like there was so much, I think so many resources put into promoting Izzy as the next big star and, you know, I, you know I, I'm not saying that those guys weren't stars, um, but it, it certainly didn't have the, you know, main event pay-per-view, Lewis versus Ngannou, you know, posters and that kind of buildup. All right, so are you, uh, are you ready to make some picks for this week?
1: Absolutely, man. Let's do it.
0: All right, so we have another heavyweight match. I, I kind of love that in this short period of time, we're getting all the heavyweights in action. We're getting some shakeup in the division. We've got new blood. It, it, I mean, in a in a very short period of time, and considering what's going to happen this week and and in a few weeks, um, it, it's almost like we have a completely new
2: division.
1: For, oh man, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better, man. It's like we do have a completely uh, new division because for a long time it's just been Steep A in D.C. and just kind of you know, you you had your Overeem's, your JDS's. But you weren't really sure if they how big of like title threats that these guys were, and there wasn't really any new blood kind of coming up. Now, man, Tom Aspinall, uh, Chris Doc is uh, uh, doing well. Then you have uh, Shrill Gan who's looking like a world beater, and then Jorginho kind of comes out of nowhere and uh, is now ranked number three. This and, and this is a huge fight
0: for him as well, right?
1: Yeah, huge fight for him, man. And then uh, you still you got your guys at the top with Stepe. And uh, 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 Francis, Curtis Blades is still there. And then you have the, the probably the greatest fighter of all time coming up into the division as well. So, yeah, man, this is definitely uh, a division that's just got a, a shot of new blood, man. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out going forward, man. I'm excited. All right, so we
0: are picking the main card. And for anybody that hasn't been listening, main events and any championship fight, so like... Next week, we have a pay-per-view card, three title fights. Even though two of the title fights aren't main events, title fights are worth three points. So all title fights and all main events are worth three points. So uh, that's the way this thing is going. And we start with a featherweight bout on Saturday night. We have Alex Cesarez and Kevin Kroom.
1: Man, uh... Well, before I make that pick, I just want to say that uh, the prelim fight between Tiago Moises and Alexander Hernandez, that's going to be incredible. I'm excited for um, that one. That fight, I wish that fight was on the main card so I could make a pick on that one. But that one's going to be incredible. Who do you like? Well,
0: uh, I mean, you can make a pick. It's just, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, man, Moises just beat Bobby Green and then Alexander Hernandez looked so good in his last fight, man. Like. I like. I'm, I'm leaning a little bit towards Hernandez, but man, Moisés is tough. So I'm leaning toward, uh, towards towards uh, Hernandez, but it, it's it's going to be a great fight. I'm I'm really excited about that one.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm leaning toward Alexander as well, and I, I feel like he's just he's this close to to being right. like a top fifteen like real problem in in that division.
1: It, I feel like he's starting to put it together. I think uh, he fought. He was on his way up and then he fought Cerrone, uh, on like the first ESPN card and then he, uh, Cerrone beat him. But I think since that loss, um, he's really started to put things together. And I think that, um, now this is his opportunity and, and the lightweight division is so stacked. I feel like he could still be a top 15 guy or a top, you know, a top guy, but that division is just so loaded. Yeah. But Alexander Hernandez has got all the talent in the world but he's got a tough tough matchup with moises yeah
0: it'll be a good fight it's uh it's a great fight to to be the feature prelim uh, i'm with you probably should uh, be on the main card but uh you know it's it's not a pay-per-view so i don't know they're all main yeah. card
1: fights basically right right <laughs> yeah but uh so uh alex Caceres and kevin Kroon, man uh I remember I didn't really know much about Kevin Croom uh, until he fought uh, Roosevelt Roberts, and <laughs> I was really high on Roosevelt Roberts. I thought that he was like on his way. Uh, uh, he was just taking fights on short notice and just like beating a lot of these guys. He had a he lost to Jim Miller, but you know I felt like that was probably uh, too big of a step for him at that time. So he fights Kevin Croom, and I was just kind of like, oh yeah, he's gonna you know run through this guy because I didn't know who Kevin Croom yeah. was on, on, on like a
0: him. day's this notice, was. right?
1: Wasn't it a day yeah, or like two? A, it was like a day or two notice, uh, and I just kind of thought like, yeah like um, Roosevelts just gonna uh, run through him and then you know Kevin Kroon just kind of shut all that down. We haven't seen Roosevelt <laughs> Roberts since. and uh was uh, Caseras man, he looked good in his last fight like he looked like a completely different fighter man. Not only did he uh, shave his head, but you know he, he's his fight skills man he he's definitely turned it up. Uh, but in this fight man, I think I kinda like uh ooh I think I, I like uh Caceres just for the, the experience factor. I think he's been he's done this for a long time. And uh but you know he's he's kinda similar to Roosevelt Roberts, but he's just got more experience. So uh even though I picked uh Roosevelt Roberts, he let me down, I'm going Cassaris with this one.
0: All right, I like it. I'm uh I I'm I was going Chrome, so I, this isn't okay. a this isn't a taking the other side just to be opposite you. Uh, I I think everything you said is is spot on. I just I don't know. There's something about Kroom I just I I, I I just like. I just feel like, you know, he's just one of those dudes that just wants to go in there and he's he just kind of has that like switch to turn it on. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. For him to go in on uh, one two days notice and take out a guy like Roosevelt Roberts, uh, and I think it was on like the main card of a of a of a fight night just to go into a, uh, the UFC and just to you know take over someone's spotlight like that. He's got to have uh, that go-getter mentality. So, uh, I mean, it's it's a close fight. I mean, I feel like, uh, I think on the odds, I think Kaceres uh, was a, a bigger favorite than he should be. Uh, but I think this fight's a lot closer. But, yeah, I like Kaceres just because of his experience. But it's going to be tough.
0: I think... Um... I think that it was uh, the story I heard earlier this week on a podcast was something like Kroom took the fight on like a day or two's notice. And then in the aftermath, he tested positive for weed. And so they wiped away the win, which is like the guy took a short notice fight. You're going to hit him for weed.
1: Wow. (laughs) Wow. So they took his win away. Yeah. Wow. And he took that fight on one or two on days like, notice. Yeah, on like gonna, a day or two's notice. Yeah. And he's just gonna wipe his window Dang. for weed. For <laughs> not a performance enhancer, but. for... Oh, poor guy. Oh man. Oh, that's, that's not LSD. <laughs> We're talking poor about guy, practice, yeah. not a game. <laughs> so We're bad. About practice. Yeah, that that's really bad, man. To get him for a week, come on, man. He took that final one in two days' notice, yeah. man. Give him a give him a break, man. Yeah. Come on now.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm with
1: you. <laughs> he didn't perform that well because he was high. Come yeah. on, man.
0: <laughs> I do like this fight though. I think it's I think it's gonna be a fun fight.
1: Absolutely, man. I definitely feel like it's gonna be a fun fight. Uh I feel like Kroom's gonna uh, be trying to get this fight to the ground. And I feel like is gonna be doing a lot of moving, uh, trying to pick him apart from the outside. Um uh, like I said, man, I just think that experience factor is just going to kick in and uh, uh, Caseros are going to be able to get a decision.
0: By the way, uh, you got to give Kevin Kroom some credit for the nickname. Do you know the nickname?
1: I don't. What is it?
2: <laughs>
0: I can't even say it without laughing a little bit. The hard hitting hillbilly. <laughs> Kevin, the hard hitting hillbilly Kroom.
1: Man, these nicknames are getting, these (laughs) nicknames are definitely evolving. Wow. (laughs) The hard-hitting hillbilly. Oh, man, that's great. That's (laughs) a hard-hitting hillbilly.
0: All right, fight number two of the (laughs) night. We have women Strawweight, Angela Hill, and Ashley Yoder.
1: This is another one I like a lot. Oh, yeah, I like this fight, too. This one... I mean, I feel like a lot of people will probably just pick Angela Hill because of her name. People probably know her name more than uh, Ashley Yoder because she was was just at a main event with Michelle Watterson not too long ago. So, you know, people will will probably uh, know, like, Angela Hill and know that she's always game. Uh, She's always comes to fight. But Ashley Yoder is really tough, man. And uh, she's definitely uh, a very talented fighter. And she's had her slip-ups here and there, but uh, she's very dangerous. She's got. She's she's pretty decent everywhere. You know, she can st- uh, she can strike. She's good on the ground. Uh, she can uh, lock up a submission. Uh, she's she's pretty good everywhere, and she's gonna give Angela Hill trouble. I feel like um, if people aren't uh, if if Angela Hill isn't uh, crossing her knees, down her eyes, that type of thing, she could get caught with something. Uh, but you know, Angela Hill, she's tough. She's always game. Um, this is going to be a tough fight for her, but, um, I'm a, I'm i I'm a go ahead and go Angela Hill on this one. Oh,
0: okay. I've been, I've been, uh, somewhat torn on this fight over the last week. Uh, but I, I think like for as much as like, I feel like I kind of want to go upset. Like I, yeah. I, I like Angela Hill a lot and I, I think that, uh, she's really talented. Um, I kind of want to go opposite you here, but I, I think I got to. My gut says Angela Hill, and uh, I think this is going to be this would this would be like the Olinic deal where I like take the opposite <laughs> side just to take it, and then like when the fight starts, I'm like, why did I do this?
1: Yeah, and I think that um, I was looking at the odds, and I think that Angela Hill is a pretty big favorite too, and I don't think that you know the odds are, are really representing this fight that well because uh, Ashley Oda, she's definitely uh, really tough. And I think that uh, Angela Hill is such a is such a favorite because of her name, and I don't think they're p- really putting this, the how they match up skill for skill into consideration. Because I feel like this fight is a lot closer. Even though I do feel like Angela Hill's going to win, uh, I feel like it's going to be really tough for her. Yeah. All right, our next fight
0: is a bantamweight matchup, and I, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun too. Uh,
1: Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Man, for this card to get that fight just kind of gifted to it like we were supposed to get that uh, this fight on uh, 258 a few weeks ago and uh, I believe it was Pedro uh, tested positive for COVID Uh, so now they push it back some but uh, man uh, I wasn't sure who I was going to pick back then and now as I'm talking to you and I've literally gone back and forth on this fight for for a whole week I really don't know who I want to pick because this fight is so close, man. I, I can see both of these guys having advantages, man. Uh, man, this fight is so close, man. I, I don't. You, I don't mean, know. you want me
0: to go first? I'll go first on yeah, this Yeah, go first, one. first okay. on this one, man. <laughs> Everything you just said, I felt that all week because I've been going back yeah. and forth and – I think I landed today on feeling a certain way about this fight. And I think it, for me, it was mostly having to separate like the heart and mind. I absolutely love watching Pedro Munoz fight. He is just like, he eats everything you throw at him and he keeps coming and he throws bombs. And like that Frankie Edgar fight, I told you a while back, like I, I thought he beat Frankie Edgar, but he takes so much punishment while he's also giving it out that you know, sometimes I think you can understand why maybe he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt.
1: Man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm, with you on that. I, I feel like um, Pedro is going to be kind of similar to the Frank Yeager fight, but uh, Jimmy might mix in some takedowns. Uh, but, you know, it's, he's got to be careful because Pedro's really good on the ground uh, and could uh, possibly submit him. Uh, but like you said, Pedro is going to be there in his face pursuing him the whole time. Um, and he's he's gonna be willing to take damage so he can land some of his shots. I remember watching that uh, Cody Garbrandt fight. Yeah. and that fight was crazy. And when Cody decided to just go in and just start brawling, like Pedro's like, okay, like we can brawl. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's nothing to me. Like, bro, we can sit here to, on the side of the Octagon. and We can just swing away until one of us drops. And sure enough, um, Pedro's able to uh, drop Cody and get him out of there. So. Uh, And then, you know, I was wondering how, how good is, is Pedro uh, Munoz? I feel like I saw a lot of how good he was against Frank Yeager because he was in his face the whole time pursuing a guy like Frank Yeager, who's experienced. Uh, He didn't fear him whatsoever. He, he felt like there was nothing that Frankie could do that could hurt him. While Frankie was, was kind of, you know, doing his thing on the outside, Pedro was still pursuing him, chasing that big shot. And. You know, who's to say that he didn't win that fight, you know? I thought he won you know, it, yeah. Judge, yeah, a judge, you know, here or there, gives one, one of those rounds that was really close to Pedro, then we'd have, be having a different discussion right now. Maybe it's Pedro who fights Corey Sanhagen. But Pedro's really good, man. And uh, But Jimmy Rivera also, he's he's right there too. They fought once uh, once before, and I didn't know this, and I think it was a split decision win for uh, Rivera. I, I see it being kind of similar because uh, – they're, it's so close of a matchup, man. And um, you are you going, uh, Pedro?
0: I'm going Jimmy Rivera.
1: I, it, You're going Jimmy I, Rivera. I,
0: look, I would be lying if I told you right now that I wasn't still going to root for Pedro because I just I love his fighting style. I just <laughs> love the you know put put it in forward gear and just go brawl and like it's it, he's a fun fighter, man. It's 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 great, but. I think part of the—I think we all forget how good Jimmy Rivera really is. You know, he lost three right. of four to Marlon Moraes, to Aljo, and to Peter Yawn. I mean, and it's not like, you know, like in the Yawn fight, for example. I, it, I didn't feel like Yawn just completely wiped the floor with him by any means. Um, and then I thought he looked great against Cody Stamen.
1: Absolutely. Jimmy Rivera is still dangerous. He's still one of the top guys he's just fighting the very best of the best and he's fighting, he's fighting the two guys who's fighting for the title. Uh, yeah. and, uh, while he lost those fights, he was still competitive. Uh, he fought Marlon Morice when Marlon Moraes was on a tear who, when he was, uh, beating everyone in the first round. Um, so he's had some slip ups, but you know, you, we can't forget about how good that Jimmy Rivera is. Uh, he's beaten Uriah Faber. He's beaten a lot of these guys. So, uh, you're going Jimmy Rivera but you know since you're going with Jimmy Rivera man <laughs> don't do it ah uh, man I, I I gotta do it man uh <laughs> for the sake of our game <laughs> I'm going with Pedro man uh
0: you're tr- you're t- <laughs> I just told you I was gonna root for Pedro now you're taking that away from me
1: yeah man gotta do it to you man <laughs> yeah i
0: I think it's gonna be a fun fight um yeah I, I this is a and look I think this is a big fight for that division too as far as Really elevating one of these guys right back into that that upper echelon.
1: Yeah, and in a division as loaded as 135 is, I remember we were talking, and we we uh, we both said that 135 is probably the second uh, best division in the entire UFC. And from top to bottom, it's loaded. So you got to get these wins in a division uh, like this because there's a lot of there's a lot of fun matchups that's going on in that division yeah. in the coming months, also. You got the big title fight. You got Dominic Cruz coming back. Uh, You just had uh, Corey Sandhagen with the big win. So all these fights, man, uh, all these fights, all these guys are jockeying for position uh, in that division, Uh, and this is a big one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pedro Munoz just lost to Frankie, and Jimmy Rivera's trying to get back in it. So um, I feel like it's going to be really close. But um, let's go, Pedro. The,
0: The winner of this fight is potentially one fight away from the title.
1: Absolutely. For sure.
0: I mean, it, look, you look at it, Jan and, and Aljo are going to fight uh, coming up. Corey Sanhagen probably has next. And then you look at the next group, it's Rob Font, Cody Garbrandt. Um, then we've got Aldo. We don't know what the future is for Aldo. Uh, we, you know Marlon Moraes has now lost, what, two in a row? Right. Frankie Edgar just had that devastating KO. Um, right. you know, no telling how long he's going to be out. And then you have Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera.
1: Yeah, and you also throw in a TJ Dillashaw into the mix. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really fun division. I mean, maybe the winner of this fight maybe uh, f- fights TJ. And then, uh, you know, if the, if the winner of this fight beats TJ, then how can you deny them a, a title shot uh, down the line? So, uh, yeah, definitely a big fight. Um, and, it's, and it's such a close matchup, man. Yeah. Uh, man, it's going to be fun, man. I see... Probably another split decision coming
0: up. Yeah, good fight. It's going to be entertaining. If uh, if if there are people that are just like looking for a an all out brawl, I think this is the the one that I would probably point point toward. Because um, Pedro Munoz is he's going to do that. He's just he's going to eat punches to make that happen. <laughs> and that's unavoidable. Yeah, you know, when you have a guy that's exactly. willing to eat punches to make that kind of fight happen, it's unavoidable.
1: Exactly, he's gonna make it. He's gonna make it that type of fight. He's gonna be in his face, and like you said, he's he'll eat a few shots to land that big one. And if uh, if Jimmy gets too comfortable, uh, Pedro's gonna uh, throw that big haymaker and uh, probably end his night, just like he did with Cody. You know, Cody got uh, too comfortable and just decided that he's gonna make this. uh, uh, You know, who's gonna go down first? He was confident in his power, uh, but Pedro put him down. So. and Pedro was in Frankie Edgar's face. Uh, Frankie had to stay on his bike because if he wasn't, Pedro's gonna land that big shot, yeah. and uh, Frankie might have got knocked out way earlier than he did uh, with with Sanhagen. So um, Pedro's definitely gonna make this a brawl, and uh, James is gonna have to be ready for it.
0: All right, our next fight: women's flyweight Montana De La Rosa and Myra Bueno Silva.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, so for these two is Montana De La Rosa. Um this is Flyway, correct? Flyway, Flyway, yep. Yeah. Um this is a division that's kind, that's pretty wide open right now. Uh they just announced Valentina's fighting and Jessica Andraz, which is gonna be a really fun fight, uh in a few months. And but outside of that, you know, who's you know, you got Kalen Chukagian in that division, Lauren Murphy in that division, uh we just saw Alexa Grazo on that division. So anybody who can get a big win, you know, they're gonna be in line for uh, big fights in the flyweight division, and I definitely feel like um, this fight is going to be close. But um, I like De La Rosa in this fight.
0: Montana De La Rosa make that two for two.
1: All right, I'm surprised you didn't do the the Rosa like you did Charles Rosa. Last Montana week.
0: De La Rosa. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> two for two, yeah. All right,
0: our co-main event, light heavyweight, we have Nikita Krylov and Magomed Ankalaev.
1: Man, when I saw that this fight was on the card, man, uh, I instantly got uh, so excited because, I mean, just like we believe that Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera is going to be a brawl, I think that this fight's going to be a brawl, but both of these guys have the power, but they're also very uh, technically sound, uh, and you know the light heavyweight division is pr- it's one of those divisions that's definitely going to uh, need some work to get back to uh, where it was. You know with John leaving, uh, but now there's a lot of fun, a lot of fun matchups. Like you got Tiago and Rakech coming up. You got yeah. uh, Yuri who's uh, coming up soon, uh, and Dominic Reyes. So then you got this fight, Nikita Krylov and Mago and Uh Akalayev, man, his last fight when he fought. Uh, Uh, Ion Kutalaba, man. That was, man, I didn't know how I thought that fight was going to go, but I definitely didn't expect him to get that knockout like that, man. He slept him. Uh, It was vicious. Uh, He's a really fun fighter, man. And then uh, Krylov, man, he's good too, man. I remember he beat Johnny Walker. You know, everyone was on a Johnny Walker hype train, and he kind of shut that down. Uh, This is going to be a fun fight, man. Where I... Who I think will win? This is another close one too. Um, I think I'm going. You want me to, to go first? Go...
0: Since you're so torn, because I I feel good yeah, about this one.
1: Oh, you feel good about it? Yeah, I feel like I know where you're gonna go, but go ahead.
0: I'm going Clive. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. I like Krylov, okay. I just yeah, I, I just uh like the other guy more.
1: Yeah, man. So if Part that influences went...
0: your decision at all, then.
1: Part of me wants to do that, but, like, <laughs> I feel like Nkaleev is definitely the more vicious fighter. But I feel like Nikita is the more technical fighter. Ooh. Okay. For the sake of our game, man. All Go right. on going cry loud. All right. <laughs> I
0: like it. I like it. All right. So we are, uh, other than the Angela Hill fight. Oh, no. De La Rosa. Okay. So we have two of the five that we are, uh. On the same side of.
1: So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a be, fun it's night. It's going to be a yeah. good fight night. All
0: <laughs> yeah. right, our main event of the evening heavyweight matchup between Cyril Gan and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Uh, this is, again, you know, we kind of talked about this uh, just a little bit ago. It almost feels like the heavyweight division is a brand-new division, a bunch of fresh faces, big shakeup. We've seen some of the guys that it feels like have kind of been toward the top of this division for a long time, start to start to slide a little bit, and some new faces um, rising up the rankings. I think there's there's optimism as far as new championship-caliber contenders in this division, and and I think this matchup, once again, goes a long way in determining what we see next from guys like – Derek Lewis, perhaps what they do with the loser of, of in and, and Stipe, especially considering John Jones is waiting for the next heavyweight fight. Where does Curtis blades go? Uh, I, I think there's massive implications with this fight.
1: Absolutely. Because you don't know whether, you know, it could be the Francis, the steep a loser. It could be Alexander Volkov. It could be Curtis blades. It could be Derek Lewis. You know, there's so many ways that they could go with the winner and loser of this fight. Uh, like you said, man, the division, got, it's got new blood. You know, some of the older guys are kind of fading out, and uh, there's a lot of new blood. And, and these guys are good, man. These these guys are uh, are pretty are pretty good everywhere. Uh, guys like uh, Jarzinho who can come in, and, and even though he could be down, he could end a fight with one punch like he did against Overeem. And then he took out uh, JDS after that. Uh, even he had that slip-up with Francis, but he's still a, a dangerous guy. And then uh Shrill Ghan, man. Uh I'm I'm really high on him. Uh 6'6, 250, chiseled, uh power, uh looks good standing you. up. I
0: mean it's he's not stiff.
1: Yeah. Uh he, he moves in and out well, um, light on his feet. Um I I really like him, man. I I think he's uh definitely the future of the division, the evolution of the heavyweights, where they're going. They're going to guys like him and Aspinall, guys who are uh, that big, but who, who are agile, who can move, and who are good everywhere. So, uh, yeah, man, this division is definitely moving in the right direction and um, a lot of fun fights, But and, and this one's got massive, massive uh, implications on it. Um, I think you already know who I'm going to pick, man. I've, been, I've already written uh, it down
0: for what it's worth. Just to...
1: Yeah, I <laughs> think you already know. I've been talking about him for a while, man. Uh, surreal God, yeah. man, I, I just can't pick against him, man. I just don't know where Jarzinho wins this, um, unless he just lands a, a haymaker like a Derek Lewis. But I just don't think uh, Surreal God's gonna put himself in a position like Curtis Blaze did. Yeah, I feel like God's gonna dictate uh, the the pace of this fight, and while Jarzino's dangerous um definitely feel like uh this is going to be a win for true gone
0: you uh you you kind of took what i was going to say uh out of my mouth i, I think that the path for Rosenstrike is exactly what the path was for Derek lewis and while that's certainly obtainable I, I think it's tough for me to bet on the one punch landing when i can see gone winning in so many ways and and dictating the way this fight goes um you know he he's quick like you said in and out I think he's just he's so versatile as opposed to where I see Rosenstrikes just gonna have to land the big one against him to put him out which is certainly like I said it's not like that's uh not something that can happen I think that's if if the if the punch lands it's it's night night time but uh, I, I think Gon is is going to understand what he's facing and not put himself in a precarious situation
1: yeah, he's he he hasn't had a lot of experience, uh, a lot of MMA experiences. I think he's only had seven fights. He's seven and zero. But uh, in those fights, I've I've seen a lot from him. I've seen uh, I've seen him submit guys. I've seen him knock out guys. Uh, I've seen him grapple guys up against the uh, up against the cage. Like he's he's really good everywhere. Where with Jarzino, um, while he has knocked out JDS, um, he was losing to Alice Overeem for four and a half rounds or basically uh 24 minutes and 50 seconds. Really? <laughs> yeah. He just got that, uh, that last second knockout. And it was, other than that, I mean, Alistair Overeem had that fight, but um uh, Jarzino landed that big punch, got the win. um, And then he got, he knocks out JDS, but he had a slip up for Francis. This fight, I feel like we're really going to get to see like his overall game. Like we're going to really get to see where he's at because right now we just kind of see him as a, a guy who, is a knockout artist or he gets knocked out right now. We're going to get to see like what happens if he gets taken down, um, if he gets uh, if, how he's going to fight with someone who's who might pick him apart from the outside, um, who might take him down and uh, who's a submission threat. Uh, we're going to really get to see like if there's any like glaring holes in this game, even though uh, I felt like I saw a little bit of it against Overeem. Uh We're going to see if he's gotten any better at it. And um, I like this fight. Gone, But, you know, strike's still dangerous, but we're going to get to see uh, where Jarzinho's at. I think this is a finish? Yeah, I feel I see a finish. I think uh, it'll be a God finish in the second round.
0: Okay, I was going to go second or third because, again, I think back to what we're both saying, I, I think Gon's just going to be patient with it and, and pick his spots and, and not uh, not put his chin out there to be taken out early.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's definitely...
0: Uh, I mean, jorginho has got uh, some Derek Lewis in him, right? Like, he's just... Absolutely. He's just going to be loaded up at all times, and he's just going to be waiting to land the big one, and, and you have to respect the power.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to respect the power, but I don't think that he's as powerful as, as Derek Lewis. But uh, while he is still powerful, I don't think he's uh, that powerful, as powerful as Derek. He's still a dangerous guy, yeah. but I feel like Shrugan, uh being six um Jarzino was probably going to have a hard time reaching him. Um, I feel like in the first round, it's going to be a kind of a filling out process. And then uh, Surreal's probably going to you know, find his timing. Uh, and then probably just in the second round, I think he'll find that shot in uh, uh, Jarzino's night.
0: Yeah. And, and look, if that happens, uh, we have a really good discussion next week about this heavyweight division and uh, what the matchmakers have in front of them.
1: Oh yeah, because there's so many different ways you could go. Um, I would love to see Srilgan fight uh, Alexander Volkov, uh, six six versus six seven. <laughs> Both strikers. Uh, if Sril wants to take it to the ground, he could. But I would love to see them uh, stand up and fight. Srilgan uh, versus Derek Lewis. That would be fun. Um, yeah, man. Or even if you want to put Srilgan against uh, one of these young guys, Chris Docus, you know, coming up. That would be a fun fight. So um, a lot of a lot of interesting matchups uh, that you could have with him. Yeah, I agree. Or Jarzinho. or Jarzino for that matter. I mean, who's to say if Jarzino doesn't win, you could put Jarzino and Derek Lewis. Uh, that would be a really fun fight. Yeah. You could have Jairzinho, uh fight any of these guys as well. So um, a lot of a lot of really fun matchups for sure.
0: Jarzinho Derek Lewis ends in about forty seconds.
1: I feel like. Absolutely. <laughs> like yeah.
0: There's no other path.
1: Yeah. Um I feel I don't feel like Derek's gonna be as patient yeah. as he was with with uh with Curtis Blades. I think he already knows like he's gonna go guns blazing go forward, uh, and Darzino's gonna beat him in the middle and yep. collision.
0: Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. All right, man. Saturday night's gonna be a ton of fun. Hopefully we don't have any cancellations, but uh even if we do, we don't have to rearrange the entire fight card. <laughs> right.
1: And that's what's great about this scoring system, man. Uh, <laughs> even even though we kind of sucked on the first one yeah. this time, I think this one's going to be good for one of us because we're on opposite sides of most of these. Yeah. So well, for the, for, we'll for our
0: sake, I think the majority of of people thought that uh, both Caitlin Vera and uh, Curtis Blades were going to win those final two fights of the night. So,
1: absolutely, uh, definitely the the Vegas odds were on our side too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, man. Always appreciate it. Uh, we'll be texting over the weekend, and uh, we'll recap this thing. And, and, hey, we have pay-per-view next week. Oh, massive, man. massive pay-per-view card.
1: Man, uh, I, if you thought I was geeked up for talking about Francis and Derek Lewis, about how excited I was for that fight, wait until we talk next week on that pod about UFC 259. I'm not going to be able to hide my excitement. I might be talking like this the whole time. So it's going to be fun, man. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, we have, okay, so we have 259 next week. Obviously, we've talked about it. There are three title fights, a bunch of other great fights. Um, You know, I think sometimes just the three title fights overshadows how great the overall card is. And it's just, I mean, great fights all the way up and down this this lineup. Uh, But then a week later, we have the... uh, the Leon Edwards-Bilal Muhammad main event, followed by Derek Brunson-Kevin Holland, and then a week after that, Bay and Francis. So, I mean, we have this, Ooh. I mean, we're on this, like, fast track over the next four weeks with some monster, monster main events.
1: Man, absolutely. And we're really going to get to see a lot of these divisions showcased because around that time uh, with the Welch Waves, we already had Usman... And, uh, and Burns fight. So we were going to get to finally get some movement in the welterweight division. Then uh, Derek Brunson and Kevin Holland, whoever wins that, is going to be right up there with uh, in, a, in a, t- a title discussion. And then uh, we've had so many heavyweight fights uh, in the past couple weeks, uh, including this one coming up. Then at, at the end of it, we got Stipe and Francis. It's kind of like the combination of all the heavyweight fights that we've seen. So uh, it's going to be so fun, man, uh, just to see how it all plays out. These next 4 weeks are going to be crazy. Yeah. And uh, man, I can't wait, man! It's gonna, it's gonna be amazing. Yeah. I can't wait.
0: And and let's not let's not forget. Even though 259 has three title fights, 260 has two. Volkanovski and Brian Ortega are the co-main event. Uh, Tyron Woodley and Vincent Luque are on that card, and then the return of Ooh. Sugar Sean O'Malley and Thomas Almeida on that card so far. So it's not complete, but that's what they've got listed right now for 260.
1: And if those are your top four fights. That's a great pretty card right Pretty good card. Right yeah, there. Pretty good absolutely. Card. And then uh, we got 259 next week. Oh, my God. We got 259 next week. That's going to be amazing. Uh, two uh, incredible fight nights. And then a out march with another big uh, title fight, man. Or two big title fights. I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Dude, uh,
0: nine days. We're whoop. nine days away from 259. Man. <laughs> like, we I, ju- I, like I feel like we just watched the Usman uh, Burns pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, and, and now we're already back, and we're in. We're already yeah. back to, at at a pay per view. It, I love how the UFC's uh, made their schedule, man. We, we're going to start the month with a big pay per view. We're going to end the month with a big pay per view, and uh, man, I, bro, I cannot wait for two fifty <laughs> nine, man. I, <laughs> I cannot wait. I, I had a, I literally had a dream about Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson. That's how I psyched I was about the fight.
0: What kind of dream was this.
1: Oh, it was it was of just them uh, fighting and then <laughs> a Megan Anderson winning. Really? God, why did I say that? <laughs> really?
0: Wow! I'm intrigued. Our picks next week are going to be fun.
1: I, I had a dream that Megan Anderson upset Amanda Nunez. That's how excited I am about this fight. It's
0: well. I mean, now you know. Now you know who you have to pick.
1: Exactly, Amanda Nunes. (laughs) Basically telling me... If Megan Anderson wins
0: that fight and you dreamed about her winning the fight and still picked against her, you're never living it down.
1: Right. Yeah. But to me, that tells me... Only in my dreams <laughs> will <laughs> Megan Anderson beat the man of Nunes. So I'm like, okay, yeah. This, that, fair enough. Yeah, I'm going to go a man of Nunes. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, my friend,
0: <laughs> always appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk Saturday.
1: All right, my brother, have a good one.
0: Will Brewer joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. And- that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you have any questions about these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. It's all about educating yourself, and they are more than happy to to share information. They are dedicated to helping you live a better life. Uh, also, we're saving you 15% off your online order. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW. Just visit abotanicalcompany.com. Order online. Save 15%. They have a drive through for pickup, so it's easy, safe, efficient. Uh, I picked up one of my orders yesterday through the drive through it, it took maybe like 30 seconds just in and out. That's how fast it was. So, again, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow.